You are listening to Omnis Protocol. I am Charles, also known as Omnis, and I am here with Lucas Sheik, aka Lucas now on all of the MCP discords. What's going on, man? I'm doing pretty good. How are you? Not too bad. It's it's good to have new people on the show, get fresh voices and stuff out there. And man, I just got to say right off the bat, I know you've heard me say this already, but I was really impressed with your roster and I have an inclination to hate Kingpin and you made me like a Kingpin roster. So props to you, my man. Thanks. I, uh, I didn't, um, I just didn't want to lose to Kingpin. So I brought, I brought him <laughs> and, uh, and I fair. don't like, I think I probably don't like Kingpin probably as much as you don't like him either, but uh, like he, uh, he has such an, such a high impact on certain scenarios. And I didn't just want to lose on turn zero. Yeah. And uh, another interesting thing about Kingpin, uh, we just had a local qualifier. And while we were kind of on the lunch break and talking, we got into this discussion about how Kingpin might be the best character in the game that doesn't get splashed. Like, <laughs> even as leadership aside, right? He's 7-7, seven, seven, like, for four. He's 4-3-3 four, three, three with a nerd to pain and, like, good attacks and great throw. Like, he's actually, a, like... If he had a medium move, he would be insane. But he's like, he's still a really good four with a great leadership. So it's, man, powerful character. Yeah, I agree. I should consider that. <laughs> <laughs> I keep thinking, like, there's been a couple of rosters here and there now where I'm looking, I'm like, man, I think it's also, it's been playing Juggernaut, right? As kind of refresh, like, just how good is in Nerd to Pain? Right, where you're reducing bleed damage to zero, you can reduce cube damage to zero, you can reduce damage from mutant madmen to zero, like juggernauts slide into you damage, you can like there's just so many things that become zero, and like how much it affects like you play against juggernaut and you're making attacks against him, and just every time he inerts to pain, it's not just one less damage, it's one less power that you generate. It's it's such a great superpower. Yeah, it it is really good. I think like the one difference between Juggernaut and Kingpin, I mean, besides the threat, is that you know Juggernaut's only going to do one attack. So if he gets uh, positioned or if he gets thrown or um, pushed or I don't, can he get pushed? I don't know. But um, if he gets displaced, he is going to get his full action economy anyway. Whereas Kingpin is incredibly sad when he is displaced. Yeah. But as a primarily control player, if I just move, if I'm just moving a character around and throwing people off points, I'm generally pretty happy. But um, anyway, we're not just talking about Kingpin. The focus of this episode is playing and building rosters with multiple affiliations. And to a certain extent, maybe also talking about multiple leaderships, which is kind of multi-affiliate, multi-affiliation adjacent. But you... You ended up playing a triple affiliation roster, and some people even thought that the Brotherhood was not really a thing that you intended to play, but I know I liked it because I've been kind of dojoing some Brotherhood play in like Mystique Brotherhood um, a little bit, and I was seeing how that could work in your roster, and I was even like kind of wishing you had uh, had Asteroid M in a spot, but I understand tactics cards get... get uh, <laughs> get really tight. Um, Do you want to share with the listeners a little bit of like, how did you come to the decision to play multiple affiliations? Like kind of, how did that, were you, have you kind of always played multiple affiliations or is that just what you thought in this moment was the best thing to play? Uh, I, 
you have, I used to be only doing single leaders. I liked single leader teams. I went with Steve Avengers last season. I pivoted to Shadowlands Daredevil uh, through the break between seasons, and I was only doing Shadowlands. And then, yeah, like I just mentioned, losing to Kingpin on Scoundrels just didn't sound very fun. So I added <laughs> Kingpin into my Shadowlands list. And uh, from the, for the rest of the season, I had at least two leaders in my list. In the midseason, I dropped Kingpin for Malekith. I didn't know what I was doing. I just knew Malekith was strong, and I ran him the rest of the Swiss. But uh, I... So then I ended up going with the list I had, which was Malkith, Kingpin, and Mystique. It just was a series of small decisions that ended up where I was. And I didn't mean to. I didn't like try to go triple affiliation, really. It just the characters that I brought ended up putting me in that position. And so I, uh, I wanted Kingpin so I didn't lose on Scoundrels or I, I felt better on Scoundrels. Malkith is super strong. And then I had Mystique and Juggernaut to support both of them. And then having two twos in my list would let me bring in two heavy hitters uh, at the same time on the table at the same time. And so uh, having my choices were like Scarlet or Black Widow or Toad, really. Uh, And so I just threw Toad in there because of the extract game. And then wouldn't you know it, I've got three viable leaders. (laughs) Yeah, that makes sense. And I think we we live in an era where most people play single affiliation. And let's say, I'm going to say at least like 25% of that is probably just people that even you may be listening to this show right now and going, I play single affiliation just because I'm, I love X-Men. And so I'm just going to play X-Men all the time. Or maybe sometimes a person is... Uh, like it's in, like sometimes when there's a new thing that comes out or there's a new concept that I want to try, I will build it single affiliation intentionally to force me to play it all the time. So I don't make too many assumptions about what it's good into and what it's bad into. And like really try to play out all those situations, win or lose, just to kind of see what it and if like how I should dual affiliate the roster. But then there are some people who legitimately make an active tactical decision where they think for whether they're wrong or right isn't relevant. But what they believe is the roster is better if they focus in on one leadership, one plan, and then have more characters to fill out that plan in a variety of situations. Um like I'll use Morgan Reed as an example. He's pretty all in on the single affiliation most of the time and really prefers to have a roster that way and say like Sploosh from Danger Room also tends to be that way. Um, but you take something like Mike DeLuca's um, Web Warriors that he won LVO with. He felt like the easiest thing for that roster to do if he wanted to play Web Warriors was to splash Black Order for the situations where he didn't feel like Web Warriors were advantaged. That's only three character slots, like one tactics card. And otherwise, you know, that wasn't that big of a sacrifice. So it's, it's an interesting call. And so I'm curious now from your perspective, having played a fair amount of single affiliation and played a fair amount of dual, um, what are your thoughts? Is it something where you prefer one direction or the other, or you just feel like you can play both ways whenever you want? Um, I'm liking I'm liking having multiple leaders and especially two leaders, at least uh, usually two leaders that 
have different games like DeLuca uh, brought with his LVO list. He played, I played against it uh, a year ago or so, and he brought uh, spiders to a demons downtown map. And, uh, and I did not expect that. So I brought like sacrifice and escort to safety and all these defensive yeah. <laughs> cards. And I basically had like four dead tactic cards because he was just playing the spiders game, uh, which completely just caught me off guard. So I like, that, I, I like habit at LVO too. Like he was playing against Nate Ghostier, and I forget, I think he ended up playing. I think he ended up playing. I can't remember if he played Black Order or he played Webs. Now it's been so long, but he played the opposite of what Nate thought he was going to play <laughs> and ended up in that same situation where it was like a bunch of dead cards. Yeah, exactly. And I like, I like that. I mean, it's gotten me a few times. Um, so I like doing that to other people. It's not, I don't think it's perfect because you can, uh, you're relying on the opponent to make a mistake. So at the highest level of, of play, I mean, they could, they could call you, they could catch your bluff or they, they can just get you. And then you're dis then you're disadvantaged. So there is risk involved. Uh, but I think that having multiple leaders on a lot of missions, it's uh, the, the penalties for bringing the wrong leader aren't, nearly as severe i i don't think i like the black order spider foes is like sorry uh, web warriors and black order is probably the most drastic that i can see between attrition and scenario play and so uh so i think that malekith and kingpin they do something similar but you can really uh mix and mash them together like bringing splashing zemo in with uh or malekith in with kingpin um, like, so you can get really both. I like the, when I compare between single affiliation and multi affiliations, I like to think of, uh, two different games of rock, paper, scissors. One of them is, is just on a character level. You're, you're trying to fit in the paper to beat their rock, uh, but you're doing it um, with like small character changes. Oh, I'm going to bring in the human torch instead of Hawkeye or uh, like, or I'm going to bring in, um, I, I, I'm not, I'm just like an Avenger. I'm going to bring in uh, just a, a different three from the original, the main three that I take or a different four. I'll bring in Black Panther instead of Voodoo uh, or things like that. But on a multi affiliation roster, it's like it's much more high level than that. You're bringing. I'm either going to bring a, a team that's. I could bring a team that's full scenario, or I could bring a team that's full attrition, or I could bring like who knows what type of mix. And and that's. Uh, I think I just like that because I uh, really like uh, turn one and turn zero and putting myself at the best position possible. So having the 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 chance to to be heavily advantaged at the end of turn one is really what uh, a multi affiliation roster can offer. I think is like the biggest thing that it can do. I think that's a, a that's a fair assessment. And if I were to kind of summarize what you're trying to say, like if you had a roster and you're seeing tons of mystic attacks, maybe you sub out Black Panther and that's the time that you play Rogue instead or something. And maybe if you're playing against Malekith, maybe that's a good time to play 
Iron Fist over, um, you know, a different three that you, you had been playing a lot, like something that, you know, doesn't, doesn't potentially absorb Malachis attacks as much. And you're making little changes like that. Whereas a dual affiliation potentially swings a totally different plan depending on how their opponent's roster looks. Is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And I think both have their value, right? And I think to a certain extent, um, playing single affiliation, you you get to practice what you're playing all the time, right? And that that is certainly a factor. Um, I just lost a game this week against Lexa from the Morlocks. And I felt like even though I really liked my roster and I really liked what it was doing, and I maybe even felt like my roster was better than hers, the thing was, is I was really inexperienced playing Thanos and I made a lot of mistakes with him and I just wasn't playing him at the highest level. And Lex had been practicing her roster a ton and she just played perfectly and got me. And it was a really close, interesting game. Shout out to Lexa. Um, but it really reminded me just how much like the more practiced you are playing a particular strategy it can lead you to making less mistakes. And if you're trying to play dual affiliation, you almost kind of have to practice twice as much, right? You can't, you can't play dual affiliation and then just not really practice part of it and expect to play that other part as well as you were playing the kingpin part or, you know, the webs part, you know, I think DeLuca would say the same thing. He had to get in a bunch of practice with black order so that he could play Black Order at a similar level to the way he was playing webs. And so it does make it does kind of increase the amount of practice. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I I definitely agree with that. The I had a bunch of uh, games with Zemo, Black Eye, Bullseye Hood, and uh because of my previous the mid-season break or like the the break between seasons. And so it was only just a few characters that I didn't have that much experience with. So adding in those extra characters. Uh, I was inexperienced with them, but I, uh, I think I just had enough experience playing the game in general because I had been playing five to six times a week that I could, I could kind of pick up. Um, I could get these characters to be where I needed them to be. The, uh, the one thing that's, uh, that I noticed when I was playing, like I, I picked, I made this list up and I happened to get here where I had, I, I think, uh, one of the strongest lists of the top cut. And I, it was basically luck, but I think that what I learned as I was prepping for each match, I learned how powerful the list was as I was prepping for each match. And I just got, I just felt more and more sure of how strong it was as I played, as I prepped. And I think that taught me that the dual affiliation is really, I think it's, it will, it's in its best place when you're playing in a league or a weekly, when you're playing one game a week, where you can really find out every possible combination of characters that you could use in the matchup and you're specifically looking at that matchup where you can you can really think of everything that it can do on turn one and, and turn two and and then you can play it as best as possible i think that if i brought this list to an event in person and uh, in a tournament i would not do nearly as well as i did in the league just because there's so many different things you could do with it and you could easily 
play something that's suboptimal and then and then just uh you're you're at a deficit early on that is you make a really interesting point i hadn't really thought about it until just now and it's kind of something adjacent to the point that you're making but you know uh God, I feel like I'm just dropping tons of names this episode, but I, I think about how Morgan approaches the leagues, right? And I usually, I would be very surprised if he didn't play multiple practice games against someone's roster in the top cut, because that's just the kind of player that he is. He's really devoted. And I'm kind of sad that he didn't have a game against you, because it would have been really interesting to ask him in retrospect how hard it was to do his sort of prep versus a triple affiliation roster. Right. It's a lot easier to if you're playing against a single affiliation roster and you're going to do prep games in this league format, you know, you're just like, well, let's say we get this crisis combination. Then you're like, which of his three affiliations is he going to play in this situation? And maybe you think, you know, but you could end up spending all of your prep time practicing against an, like a completely different affiliation than what you might choose in the actual matchup. Is that something that's factored into your decision-making with this? Yeah, I, I knew it was something that was a factor. I And I noticed that, be, or like I realized that when I was prepping for my opponents and almost all of them uh, were, I think all of them were single affiliation and maybe had a second leader, but I knew them as a player. I knew that Ryan Janaway liked... Sam, and I knew that uh, Nick liked Steve, and so I could do, elim- eliminate a lot of prep work that I would have to do uh, prepping for different roster builds or squad builds, and and so it I felt like it made it easy to to make the best teams for each mission configuration. So I haven't had to play against many dual affiliated rosters. Uh, lately but i um i imagine i mean i imagine that it would be a little more uh tricky than just than doing what i was doing which was prepping for mostly single leader teams Hmm. very interesting it's not not that i mean I i totally don't play in the league but this conversation has definitely made me feel like i would almost certainly play something triple affiliation if i could just to make it more difficult for people to do that prep i mean i'd already be i already think i would be the person who would be like can we play the game on tuesday like get it done as fast as possible like let's go into it and like play it and not give my opponent like a ton of time to try to do all sorts of prep work and stuff um but yeah i think that would be that would be very interesting and hmm yeah in just- in the league i uh in the league i try to get my games in as early as possible in the week and then i would spend the entire week prepping for the next match and then I would ask my opponent to schedule as soon as I could so that I had a bunch of prep work done and they had very little or the nice. minimal amount. Next, take it to the next level. <laughs> uh, I mean, I could, I have got a bunch of like tips and tricks that I used that basically took every advantage I could in the league. And, uh, and uh, yeah, so I did that. And then until we get, until we got to towards the end where I ended up playing my games later and so I asked for as much time as possible because the way I 
approached the league was that I wanted to feel like I had done more work in preparation than they did. And I, so I spent, I spent a lot of time each week. I'd spend like 15 to 20 hours of prep work. And I would say that 90% of that was just with a notebook or an Excel sheet and just mapping everything out on those. And maybe I'd play a game or two, maybe. Um, and so I just felt, I feel like that's what I needed to do to win, but I was trying to take every advantage I could in the league to just to get through each week. I, I was, I guess I was more, I was more scared of losing and then, than winning, but, uh, then, than trying to win. But, uh, yeah, so I you, just tried you, to get every advantage I You hated losing more than you love winning. <laughs> I just didn't want to play poorly is yeah. really like, I didn't want to, I wanted to play, I wanted to reach my potential is really what I was trying to do. And uh, I feel like I almost got there. <laughs> <laughs> I think it, it was something I was just, so my partner has been playing more and more. We recently had a discussion where I was talking about once you've played at the highest level and you've like played some game, it may just be that once you reach a game where you like, you feel like you played perfectly and you knew your roster inside and out, and you know how to deploy all your characters and how you'd attack every crisis. And then as soon as you're playing something else, like maybe you just switch affiliations or you take a break for a little while, or you're just not thinking about the meta as much, then you try to play, you can immediately feel the difference, right? You can tell I am not at the top of my game right now. I don't know if I'm deploying in the best spot and that's it's a very stark difference once you're in that situation. Um, and I think a goal for all of us is to play those important games at that level where you feel the most prepared and you feel like you're making the good decisions and you're not in that like we all know when you're like starting out that like fresh like, ooh, Hydra just came out. I'm gonna play my first game with Strucker, and you're just like, I have no fucking idea where I want to put any of my characters yet. Like, <laughs> Yes, uh, I've been playing a couple of different affiliations since the league ended, and I it, exactly what you said is how I'm feeling right now. Yeah. And uh, yeah, but like, I guess what I I follow mixed martial arts somewhat, and yeah. there's a like a saying, it's just like white belt mentality. You just have to you just have to accept that you're not the you're not the best player, and and that there are players that are, there's always going to be someone better than you. So you have to just suck in as much uh, knowledge as possible. And so I just try to think about that. I ask lots of questions and, uh, and just try to just absorb as much knowledge as I can so that when I'm in this new affiliation, I'm, I'm getting to play, I'm playing uh, as best. I'm just playing it as best I can. Yeah, 100%. I'm experimenting with a shield roster right now. And like the game that I lost to Lexa on Thursday, it ended up being a, despite losing it, it's one of the games I've enjoyed more than most of the games that I've played in the last month or so, if not more, because afterwards I found very clear moments where I could immediately pinpoint like, oh, okay, I totally forgot about Lizard throwing Thanos I didn't even think about that. I was so focused on these other things. And if I had positioned him better, that maybe I could have stopped that. And I didn't death decree as much. And it definitely like these more complicated characters like Thanos, they take a lot more to like, you got to think about them. Like think about death decree on everybody's activation. Is it <laughs> worth doing? And um, I love coming out of a game like that, like where I have these things. Where I'm like, I want to work on doing X better. And I want to work on doing X better. And um and some of those little some of those little things are just great. Um, 
I wanted to talk a little bit about how um, obviously you you got to play a really great game against Pat, both playing like these like monster rosters. And it had to feel pretty good to not only like get a win over Pat, one of the best players in the world. Obviously, he's going to lose games occasionally. No disrespect to Pat. Absolutely fantastic player. But after the game, to have Pat basically start playing your roster, like he makes some tweaks, like kind of makes it his own, has a few things that he wants to do a little bit differently, but immediately goes out and starts playing the roster that he lost to. Like that has to be like the the biggest like props respect that you could possibly receive, right? How did that feel to like have Pat start playing a version of your roster and really, it seems to be really enjoying it. Uh, I, I think that's pretty cool. I, uh, when I came into this top cut, um, I was asked by Vince Chan and he said, how do you beat Pat? Cause Pat had this, had that guardians list that I think Pat was right. I think Pat had the best list until Malekith, uh, arrived. And yeah. so I built my list and I tweaked it a little bit so that I felt comfortable with the Pat matchup. And this was before I even knew I could play him in the second round. And so, I mean, I think, uh, I hope he takes that as a compliment because I considered him the best player in the le- in that, w- that reach top cut. And so I wanted to make sure that like I could beat him if I could. And, and luckily I did. I got uh, a few dice rolls worked my way and, and then didn't work his way. And I, it, it does feel it's, it's kind of cool that he's using a list that kind of is like, took, it looks like it took my list as a starting point and yeah, inspired by what you were playing. That's right. And so I hope uh, he doesn't take offense if he joins the next league and I join the next league and I see his list and then build something that I think can beat it. Uh, because that's what I'll be trying to do again. <laughs> I mean, whether people say it or not, I'm sure people look at, you know, Pat's roster and Morgan's roster and like look at some of those rosters in the league and maybe like the mid game, you know, the mid season cut, like go, okay, Pat's playing this, you know, do I need a tweak to be able to like handle that if I have to play him, that sort of thing. And, um, I'm sure people make those sort of decisions like coming from a war machine background, we had a player, um, his name was Jake or JVM, but he traveled a ton and he always played the same faction. It was the same faction that I played. It was the evil dragons. And it was basically like everyone who came to conventions knew that he was going to be in the like Sunday masters top cut and everybody <laughs> tweaked their rosters. Cause they knew they like, they were not winning the event without likely having to go through him. And so nice. if they left that gap that they couldn't, that they didn't have like some sort of answer to have a reasonable game against him. They just weren't going. And so there was all sorts of like the American, he kind of shifted the whole American meta. And when I went to Poland and I was playing against other, I'm like, I feel like these people are playing stuff from last year. And we were talking about, I'm like, they're playing this stuff because they don't have to go through Jake at every convention. <laughs> and so it's a totally different mindset. And I was like, yeah, he really did. He kind of changed the entire American meta um, where it's like, if you're going to go to a convention, you better be ready to play X. It would be like, it would be kind of like if uh, DeLuca who does travel a lot, but if say he committed to playing webs and he only played webs, right? Imagine how the convention meta would be is if you were like, there's this great player who travels to every major convention and he always plays web warriors. 
you're going to be like, you're going to have plans for web warriors, right? Like you would just naturally go, Oh, I, there's, I need to make sure that my roster has something to play in these situations. I can't plan to dodge it and win. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's that's exactly why Kingpin is in my list, and that's that's why yeah. Malekith was in my list. I didn't have, I didn't know what the answers were there, but I thought that bringing them would uh, would kind of be my answers. And uh, and yeah. that's uh, actually like speaking of Web Warriors again. I was doing prep work with Deluca for the mat, for the potential that I was going to be matched up with Matt Alex, and. Uh, and he just like rocked me with web warriors and like, <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, so I was, I was very happy with my friend Shane, I uh, was able to, uh, get Matt Alex out. Cause I was terrified of, uh, that matchup. <laughs> Matt is a, Matt is a really solid player. Um, I've only played against him in a team up event and it wasn't web warriors, but I could immediately tell that dude was super solid. Um, and he's, he's definitely a, he's definitely an opponent to respect when you're across from him and web warriors is a very technical, very, um, very strong affiliation. And if you don't get lucky in the crisis selection, you know, and give something that kind of bones webs, then they're going to be a problem. Yeah. So uh, I am curious back on the multi-affiliation part of this, uh, well, part of this episode, the whole episode, um, have you had a matchup where you were facing a dual affiliation roster and it kind of felt like some sense of list chicken where you're like, Hmm, if they drop X, I would prefer to play Kingpin. But if they drop something else, I would prefer to be playing mystique or cabal. Like, did you, did you have any matchups like that? Or did you end up just playing against single affiliation? I haven't had any matchups that come to mind uh, lately. I did have one that that strikes a similar type of thinking, and uh, of course, it was if the player was going to splash Malekith or not, just because he such has such oh, a yeah, high yeah, impact on the sense. board. And so it was uh, it was the first round against Cathal, and we were playing Scoundrels and Spiders, and I had a, an amazing Kingpin list at seventeen, and. He had X-Men, and he had Malekith as a splash, and I decided to risk not, like, just risk playing the Kingpin team, pure scenario team, and hope that he didn't splash in Malekith uh, with his X-Men. And he didn't, which gave me a huge turn zero uh, edge. And I... I just had to risk it. I just had to uh, guess at what my opponent was going to do. I think that if he brought Malekith, the game would have... Uh, I don't know if I would have won that game. It would definitely be a lot closer to 50-50 than I would have liked. And I could have. I think I might even be uh, not favored to win. But, but, it's, but I just got... So that's the, I guess that's, that's the lesson of, against playing dual leaders or, or just teams that can go in two different directions. Uh, you just have to prepare for, you have to just hope, hope you get the scenario you want, but be prepared for the scenario you don't want. Yeah. That's interesting when you have, cause obviously spiders and scoundrels is the dream matchup for uh kingpin, right? That's yeah. like best case scenario in most cases. 
Um, and say as the the X-Men player, that's the nightmare matchup. When you're playing the wide crisis or the wide extracts to lose priority and have to play that. So I, I watched that game and I had so much empathy for your opponent as an X-Men player. I'm like, that's the nightmare situation where you lose priority to Kingpin and you pull spiders and they pull scoundrels. It's, I, I would be very curious did in the after game talks or anything, did he say why he wouldn't, why he elected to not play Malekith? Cause that seems like a situation where I would be looking to play something outside my normal X-Men plan um, and shake things up. That's usually where I would dual affiliate with X-Men. Like I was trying a Wakanda slash X-Men for a bit and ha- maybe, or have very specific splash characters for that. Did he say anything about why he elected to kind of play just like a normal X-Men list into that situation? Uh, he just said that if he played 20, cause that he did choose 17 when, after we rolled uh, that he would have brought in Malekith. And I think that looking back at the game, or like what what I saw is that he thought I would bring Malekith and then he would have a wider team to play scenario on. And so he played a scenario team and then I played a better scenario team. And then, uh. And, uh, and it just, so I think that's, I think he was worried that I was going to drop Malekith. I mean, my previous three league games that I had played and I don't know if he watched them or not because they're on my YouTube, but I dropped Malekith in all of those, all of those last three games. Like as soon as he was available, is I, I only started playing Malekith. That was my first uh, Kingpin game since Malekith, and it was in my list. And so uh, maybe that's that, that's that, that's what I think he probably was seeing. And I just I just I got a good call on the uh, turn zero. Yeah, the the zigging when you should zag, like that's. That is an interesting element to playing dual affiliations that you kind of have to be ready for, right? And kind of have to embrace that level of, well, you know, I ha- am I going to zig when I should zag or, you know, kind of have faith in both? Um, yeah, that's that's very interesting because, man, yeah, I don't know what I would have chosen in that situation because that's, that's hard, like... If, but the, if he I thought you were going to play Malekith, it makes sense that maybe he he sticks. Yeah, I got. I mean, I, like I said, I can see the logic where you'd go. Oh, he's gonna. He thinks I'm going to play Malekith, which means that he'll play this. And so in that <laughs> case, I'm going to play pure scenario. But yeah, that's that's hard. It's like a reverse reverse that... psychology kind of yeah. situation there. <laughs> yeah, call the call the bluff. Um, there were. So, um... Oh god! Uh, there, there were some. Uh, I think the matchups that I was the most excited for into uh, were the ones where each leader would have seen the table if certain crises came up, and I uh, those were cool because it really showed to me that having those tools available, uh, it just, it just that I think that's where the strength came from. So, uh, I guess the the most like the finals match. Uh, I was going against Nick and I had some really cool turn one options with Mystique because she can, I can have Juggernaut pick up a virus and retreat, or I can, I can grab, I can use Toad to pick up a flank virus, but then also spend a point, his spend the power he gets refunded to then put a leadership token on the extract as well. 
So it would force his team to come to the secure or because he couldn't move and then attack Toad because he, if he did that, he would lose the secure. And so uh, it it would make him have to do double moves, and and so there were those were a couple of examples where like Mystique's leadership, like my I thought was the answer with my list, and but there were also like if we played Scoundrels, I uh, I had a Malekith Kingpin option where I would splash in Malekith and Mystique at twenty, and uh, and that seemed really cool. And then I had of course then I had a lot of options. I played I ended up playing a Cabal. Uh, in the matchup so that I could keep priority through uh, the game. And so there were, I think those are my favorite matchups are the ones where I could play either any of the leaders. And I had, uh, I had good reasons why to play them. It wasn't just because I wanted to, it was because they, to me felt like the best options uh, in that, in that crisis combination. Yeah, I can totally see that. Um, question for you. Um, are you pl- so I know that you've primarily done the online thing and obviously you're um you're Canadian, correct? I'm yes. not forgetting. And um you're from the uh which region? I'm from uh southwestern Ontario. I'm just an hour away from Detroit, but li- living in Canada. Oh, okay. Gotcha, gotcha. Um so obviously Canada tends to be a little bit more spread out. You don't necessarily have as many game stores that you can travel to. Um, how often do you get a game in in person? Uh, well, I have a I have a group in my city that we get together and we play weekly uh, on Friday nights. We haven't been playing Marvel Crisis Protocol lately. We've been playing some other miniature games. Uh, and I do try to get to... How dare uh, you, events. you traitor. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I, uh, I do get to some events. I usually stay have stayed within about an hour to an hour and a half of driving distance from where I live. But I do, like, the closest hobby store to me is 40 minutes away. So I don't have uh, that many easy options. Uh, I do want to play more in-person events. So I'm I'm looking to do that like starting next month or so. Well, that sounds that sounds good. Do you think you're gonna do any of like the convention travel in 2023? Like, might we see you at? Uh, I know LVO might be a little bit harder, but maybe Adepticon is a little bit easier. Like, any thoughts about doing some of the American conventions or anything like that? Yeah, I uh, the Adepticon is in Chicago, right, or around Chicago. Yeah, it's it's, it's a suburb of Chicago. Yeah, right. So that's uh, about a six-hour drive for me. I oh, that's that's not I know horrible. I know that I know that yeah I know that tickets. You said, I I heard that tickets were available in November. So I think that if there was a, a big event that I was going to go to, that's probably the one. Uh, and so, and uh, my wife has always wanted to go to Chicago, so maybe uh, maybe that works out. Uh, I will so, say, yeah. trying the Chicago style pizza was pretty good. Like I was, I was impressed. Like it was, uh, I only got through like two and a half slices or something, but um, <laughs> um, it's it's worth the adventure. And uh, Adepticon is something very special. The guy who runs it truly cares about it being a wonderful experience for you know gamers. It's and it's a minis game convention uh like first and foremost and so it's just painted armies as far as the eye can see basically that's very that sounds very cool um 
So you, you've talked a little bit, not in this podcast, but you've said that you're kind of a, an overthinker and you worry that you would play your roster too slow to do it in person. Do you have any strategies in mind to like work on that, to like be better prepared to play this kind of roster at a convention? Or is it something where you think you would switch back to playing a single affiliation for uh, an in-person event? What are your thoughts? I think that I would either play something that I felt was easier to not make turn zero mistakes on, or I would do a large amount of prep work with a team like this. And I would just basically take every single crisis combination that, uh, that I think like that I would have to play against knowing that I have my six cards and I would then build teams and just have like this like spreadsheet checklist of like, this is what that tells me, this is how you play turn one. This is how, like, this is how you position your deployer characters. I mean, that's what I did for each matchup. I, I had like uh, each deployment uh, position of my characters. I had a, I had a nickname or a, just a name for how, where would they would go on the board so I could remember them. And, and even like some turn one, where they would end up on turn one, I would call them. I would have certain names for those, uh, the where the characters would be, so I'd remember them. So I would either play an easier list, or I would do a, a lot of prep work for the <laughs> for the event with a harder list. Man, I gotta say, so if you go, if you decide to do that, right? And say you, let's just hypothetically say you decide to go to Adepticon and you bring like a triple affiliation roster for whatever is in that meadow who knows by, you know, March. Um, but let's say hypothetically that you did that and you did that super amount of like research to plan out your matchups. I want to do an episode with you after the fact, like whether you go like zero and 10 or you go 10 and O over the whole convention, I would love to hear the thoughts of like, this is how I plan stuff out. This is like what worked. This were like the flaws in the plan. Like, I think that would be super interesting. And if you were like comfortable, like posting your spreadsheet after the <laughs> fact, I think that would be, especially for like the math guys, like um, Jacob in my discord and, um, I guess also uh, Jacob from uh, Danger Room and like any of the the super math guys, I think would get really into the the spreadsheets and stuff. That would be, I can't imagine doing that much like prep work on paper or in Excel sheet for an event. Like I do it in my head, but um, it would be really interesting to see how that all played out. Um, is this kind of your your general approach to planning out matchups? You like to do that kind of like Excel spreadsheet work. Yeah, I uh I wasn't doing it uh, when the, before the season started. I was I mean, I couldn't, right? Cuz I didn't know lists ahead of time. Yeah. And and even tournaments were like I would play like a, it's like a 5-week event, but you know their lists. I I really wouldn't. It was only because my desire to not lose forced me into this like pathway of just like trying to prepare every scenario and I wanted to feel good. Uh, I just wanted to know what I was doing and I didn't want to put a character down in deployment and it be the reason I lose the game, <laughs> like things yeah. like that. Right. And so I, uh, so yeah, that's um, where it came from. And I, and as each week went by the, the way I did things just got better and better until I was, I just felt incredibly good 
I, I felt incredibly good about how I was doing it and what things I was writing down and like the nicknaming thing of each position that I was, that I thought I forecasted my characters to be in at the end of turn one and during deployment, I was only doing that in the last couple of weeks because like, that's where the improvements each week in how I was prepping, like that's where they led me. Can you and, give us an example yeah. of what was a nickname to a deployment plan? Yeah. Okay. I'll give you, I'll give you a couple. Cause these were my favorite too. Okay. So I have, okay. So I have a deployment. Okay. Uh, so I have the deployment that I just called the triarchy and okay. uh, that was Malkith in the, in the middle dead center. I had mystique behind Malkith, but not directly just offset a little bit. And then I had Baron Zemo opposite to mystique, both of them right behind. I implemented that deployment during the Ryan Janway matchup. And uh, and I called the triarchy just because like uh, they're each leaders. I mean Baron Zemo is like the Thunderbolts leader. He's not really <laughs> yeah. like, but uh, I just called it the triarchy because it was catchy enough that I could remember it. And and then in my notes I wouldn't have to write, oh put Malkith dead center, put Mystique's offset behind Malkith. I wouldn't have to write that all. I would just say triarchy deployment. You're and like, like quarterback uh, blue forty two blue forty two. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly that's exactly <laughs> right. So um, and then I had one. That's, I, I don't know, maybe I'm just like, uh, I, I just called it, I mean, I just called it the Mystique Defense. I, I mean, like, I was just playing around uh, with, like, names and stuff, being silly. I guess I called it the Miss Chic Defense <laughs> because of my last name. <laughs> and uh, and so that was, uh, <laughs> that was, um, I, I mean, I thought this was cool. And people can tell me if uh, if I was, like, totally off base with, with, uh, the positioning here on turn one, but this was against magic Nick who was really, he was, if we played spiders or cubes, he would have done whatever he could, or he would have tried to find an opening to take. Um, if he was winning priority. Oh, sorry. If you or I, let's say, let's say I won priority and um, Let's see here. If I won priority, I would grab the middle cube, but he would want to steal it back, right? He would want to steal yeah. that middle cube back. So what I would do is I would grab it with Toad. He'd be positioned range two away from the middle. And then I would grab a side extract, like a back one of my back spiders with Mystique. And then I would move Mystique over and position Mystique directly behind Toad with Deception online. And so what that would do is then I would it would that's what that's the Mystique defense. Is that uh, is that it would make it so that whoever he positioned, uh, okay. So let's see here. There's a lot going on here. I <laughs> um, I couldn't put Mystique in a different spot because that would allow Voodoo to um, to grab the objective off of Toad and be outside of deception range. The reason Mystique goes directly behind Toad is that so no matter what Voodoo, where Voodoo goes, if he wants to be range three of Toad, he's going to be within range four of Mystique. And if he's, if Voodoo is on the opposite side of Malekith, like if Mystique is between Voodoo and Malekith, then I can play deception and bring Voodoo closer to Malekith. And then if, so that's not a good option. And then if Voodoo is closer to Malekith, well then, then Malkith is can just charge Voodoo. Like he he's not in a position to be able to take the cube. And, and same logic with Black Cat. Black Cat would have to take the cube off of Mystique and Toad, but that would leave her vulnerable to um, to being deceptioned or just being in range of Malkith to charge. 
And so that, uh, and then I guess to build on that, I was probably going to, because I was using Mystique's leadership, I'd be running 17, right? That'd be Mystique, Toad, Malekith, Juggernaut. I'd be running, I'd have then to decide which of my two larger characters would take the other extract. It'd be the one that Mystique didn't take. And I ended up concluding that Malekith grabs it because that would mean his extract runners, Voodoo and Black Hat, would then have to um, get closer to Malekith, which is where they don't want to be. And so it would also leave Juggernaut the ability to just like just go like in, like just start uh, swinging and not be scared of Black Hat just like taking it and running away or Voodoo just like grabbing it from him. And so all of those, all like that positioning where um, where my characters are um, on the board at the end of turn one is what I call the Mishik defense. I'm totally imagining you like in a, like a, a football locker room with a big whiteboard drawing this stuff out and just like Zemo and Mystique and Malekith are just like sitting there listening. You're like, all right, so Toad is going to go here. Toad, you got this? Toad, stop eating that. Pay attention. Stop eating the pigeon, <laughs> right? You're going to go here. And then Mystique, you're going to grab this and you're going to go right behind and you're like drawing the arrows on the thing and... <laughs> I don't know. That's I mean, that's, that that's, like, that's, that's funny. <laughs> I mean, that kind of sounds like exactly what I was doing in my head is really what yeah. was happening there. It it's uh, to get, but to, it was cool because like, I, okay. So I think that was a cool, uh, it was a cool thing that I found. And I think it, it works. It worked in that matchup. If we played that scenario. Uh, I mean, I could be totally wrong, but I spent, it took me two and a half hours of thinking to get to a point where I gave up on it and I was like, I'm just going to lose this matchup. And then like 30 minutes of sitting on the couch, like off my computer. And then like all of a sudden it was just like kind of clicked all together. Uh, like, so I, I don't know. I, I enjoy the puzzle of positioning my characters optimally at the end of turn one, like that. I found a, the most enjoyment uh, doing that each week and then it gave me that little bit of a level of comfort that I needed when I was like actually playing the game. Yep. No, I see it. Like whenever I like do the situation, I'm like, all right, I'm going to have X 23 bounce off of this character. So I have beast position there. Cause he's big enough. So X 23 can use the X-Men leadership and hop off of him, walk up, grab the middle with first class and then walk back, grab a second cube. Then I'm going to also have exceptional healing and then storm is going to be positioned. So she could to me, my X-Men in case someone tries to pull X 23 forward. And you know, it's, you know, I, I love that yeah, kind of stuff. Exactly. It's like when all the math works out, you're like, oh, it's cool. I can do all of these things. And um, yeah, it's pretty awesome. All right. Um, one more question before we wrap up the main episode. Um, obviously, you you were in the finals game. You were playing against like a very complicated roster that had all sorts of like crazy tools that you had to like be planned around. So I don't want to rag on you too much for like taking more time than your opponent because you had to think through kind of all of the things that he could do to take the extracts from you. So I think that was just naturally a position where any player was going to have to think more, but you also, you have three different affiliations that you can bring. And, um, and you've also described yourself as this overthinker over planner. Um, Do you have any plans to like, try to improve your, your time like how long you're spending, like chess clock, especially with playing a roster that has so many different facets. Like, is it something where you feel like you're going to have to spend extra time to be 
clock prepared or like, what are your thoughts on that at this point? Uh, I think that I, I just needed to, I need to understand how much time I need in each round. Uh, and I need to account for that when I'm playing and then to find it. And then uh, I need to, um, I need to see like, what's the bare minimum I need with a little bit of buffer, obviously, because you uh, you've got dice rolling and all that. And then where do I want to be at usually? And I need to be okay with being under where I want to be at. And I, I told myself earlier on in the season that if I lose, I better have zero seconds left on my clock. And <laughs> in that last game, I, I had like 12, 10 minutes left. I don't know. It was somewhere around there. And so I, I, I shouldn't, I was getting some clock panic um, and I shouldn't have, I, I had enough time to close out the game and I wasted it. So I just need to get more experience. I guess I just need to get more experience with clocks in general, but I think that uh, that experience would help, but just knowing where I want to be and where I, where I have to be at those different time brackets for each round uh, in general, having something like that is what I will be, uh, I'll be looking at more uh, closely for the future. So I'm going to try to summarize what you just said. And because I think you actually hit on some really interesting points there where whatever the amount of time is that you have for a particular game, right? You know, the classic chess clock for um, uh, an in-person tournament now is about 45 minutes each. And then it's a little bit different for the TTS leagues because you have to accommodate for you know, the, the problems that you just have with lag or, you know, weird situations with the templates, not doing what you want, um, that sort of thing. But if I were to understand what you're saying is you're thinking if it's a, if it's an important game and it's tight, you should be planning to use most of your time to just like, make sure you don't make little mistakes. Don't rush something when you don't need to, if you've got the time, but also, create just enough of a buffer where you never hit the point where you hit panic mode, where you always have time for the critical decisions when you need them. Is that kind of a good summary? Yeah, I, that's, that's exactly it. And everyone will have a different amount of time that they feel like they need per round. So just figuring out what that is. I initially, I had just 10 minutes around. I mean, that was just like easy math there. And but I think that there is a lot more thought that could be put into that, especially because turn one and turn two um, can just win you the game or uh, require usually require a lot more thinking and have more activations. So there's a little more to it than just 10 minutes around. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, we've all been there where you, you misdeployed one character and then all of a sudden the whole game is so much harder because you deployed that character wrong or something like that. And it's, uh, you know, it just puts you on the back foot the whole time and you feel like you have to dig yourself out of it and you want to use the clock. And I think it's, it's certainly, it's certainly an interesting mindset to go. I have this amount of time. If it's an important game, I'm going to use all, if not most, of the time. I don't want to lose a game where I had 30 minutes left and felt like I could have been making decisions a little bit slower, a little bit more precise. Because um, sometimes, 
we've all been in that moment, especially in like a casual game where like right after you finish the movement, you're like, Hey, wait a second. Can I back up this character a little bit? Or can I put him into cover or like, you know, just subtle little things that you want to take a little bit extra time. Um, I don't know if you rewatched your finals game, but there was, uh, there was one player in there that just like every time you were checking angles and stuff and he was like another 20 distance checks or something. And it's like, guys, this is, this is a top table game. Unless he <laughs> runs out of time. Like it is certainly like your, your ability to be entertained by this game is second to these guys trying to play the best game that they can. If he wants to check a bunch of distances and that's how he wants to use his time. That's his God-given right. Like, um, <laughs> the, I, I uh, see the uh, I see the clock not as a problem, but as an opportunity. Uh, that's uh, I I have uh, like if I if the game is going to be quick, then I've got twenty free minutes to think just to make sure I don't screw up the early game. Uh, so I I yeah I try to look at it la- that way. Hey, football players don't come back from halftime early, right? Like. <laughs> They they use all of the halftime to prepare and rest and think about their plans. They never come back from halftime early and be like, "Ah, we we're we're doing so good. We need less, you know, prep time for this." They're always going to take all of that prep time. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, I think we're going to wrap up the primary episode here. Um, so first off, Lucas, thank you so much for recording with me, man. I'm glad we got to do this. It's been cool to see your games. I'm really excited about your future list building. Um, but again, thank you for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, do you have any shout outs that you want to do to, um, I know you said you had a, a channel and any players you want to give a shout out to anything else, any other projects you've working on anything, feel free to shout away. Well, I think that, I mean, I've shouted out my squad on the games uh, all season. And so, uh, I mean, the only thing I haven't really shouted out at all is that I have a YouTube channel that has all of my Swiss games on it, if you want to check those out. And I will probably be uploading more games in the future. I just haven't played any uh, very many lately. But uh, that's so, yeah. So my channel is just Mr. Sheik on YouTube. I mean, if you search my name and you and my Marvel crisis protocol, you should be able to find it. All right. Well, so that's a uh, Mr. MR period. I think it's, or I it... think it is uh, MR. I, I'm not really sure if you just search my name, Lucas L U K A S S C H I E C K. And then Marvel crisis protocol, like the channel should just show up. And that's a, a YouTube channel, correct? Yes, it is. Yeah. All right, wait a second. I think uh, I think I've found it. All right, Mister just Mr. Oh, oh, that's okay. Yeah, Mister Sheik, uh, no period. All right, there we boom. Go. I have subscribed. Oh, okay. thanks. Um, okay, so um, again, Lucas, thanks for coming on. I'm gonna wrap the episode up here and just say the most OP thing that you can do is build a four affiliation roster and make Lucas jealous because <laughs> got to represent all the teams, right? Later nerds. <laughs>